0: Welcome to another episode of Ancient Tools for Modern Living. I'm your host, Sipora Gerson-Miller. I am a licensed psychotherapist and certified yoga therapist, among other things. I'm also just a human being who tries to live life on life's terms, which many of you know is not easy at all. So, for those of you who are new around here, Ancient Tools for Modern Living is a podcast dedicated to promoting and supporting mental health in all stages from awareness to recovery through practical yoga and holistic lifestyle. We do that through thoroughly exploring the intersection between mental health, practical yogic lifestyle tips, and other psychological concepts and ideas rooted in Eastern traditions. So if you are someone who struggles with mild to severe mental health challenges, helps someone, loves someone, knows someone, works with someone, or are just simply interested in learning more about this kind of inquiry, you are in the right place. But keep in mind, what works for someone might not work for someone else. Therefore, there is no right or wrong way to do recovery. This is also not in any way a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider or a doctor. So one of my main intentions in doing this work is to provide content and research on how yoga and wisdom grounded in other Eastern and contemplative traditions can support someone who lives with mental health challenges and some of the ways in which we can integrate other holistic tools because recovery is and really should be a holistic and integrative path to change. And we're so very fortunate nowadays because there's so much research out there that supports the efficacy of holistic treatments, and people, thankfully, are becoming more and more vocal about it. So with that said, one of my new goals with the podcast is to try to incorporate as much research and as many articles that I come across that I find might be relevant or helpful to you guys. So the reason I'm trying to do this more regularly is because, you know, as a person who works in the field of mental health care, it's common practice to provide what we call, and I'm doing air quotes, evidence-based treatment when working with clients, and basically what evidence-based means is that the intervention that one is using has been researched using reliable research methods and found to have demonstrated some sort of efficacy or effectiveness in improving or decreasing symptoms. So you can find me on the web at Innerskytherapeutics.com, where this podcast lives, as well as a blog and other resources related to yoga and mental health. You can also find me on Facebook, both at Innerskytherapeutics and Ancient Tools for Modern Living. So the podcast also has its own Facebook page. And I'm also on Instagram as hashtag Innerskytherapeutics and hashtag Ancient Tools for Modern Living. And as this podcast begins to develop and grow, I will be sharing with you any and all new projects that I may become involved in. And as always, all of these links will be available in the show notes. So with that said, today I will be talking to one of my mentors, Trey Kirkpatrick. Trey is a certified life coach, certified yoga therapist, and experienced yoga teacher, and one of the co-founders of the Center for Integrative Yoga Studies in Atlanta, Georgia. At the time Trey found her way to yoga, she described herself as unhappy, unhealthy, and unsettled, and divinely discontent. She said that she was deeply touched by the practice and let go of a 15-year career to pursue yoga teacher training at the Kripalu School in the Kripalu tradition with Yoganand Michael Carroll. As a yoga therapist, she uses the tools and techniques of the Tantra Hatha Yoga tradition to restore balance, increase vitality, and improve mental well-being. In 2014, Trey co-founded the Center for Integrative Yoga Studies, which I am proudly a graduate of, that offers both a 200- and 300-hour teacher training focused on a therapeutic and meditative approach. Trey lives in Atlanta and offers regular weekly classes, workshops, and Thai yoga therapy sessions. So today in my interview, Trey and I are going to be discussing the intersection of yogic philosophy and principles with behavior change. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Trey. Welcome Hi, welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm delighted to share this space with you today.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about yoga and behavior change. I think it's a really important um you know, thing to reflect on and dive a little deeper into. So I think it's something that really needs to be heard and shared in our field. So before we dive deeper into the topic of yoga and behavior change, I was wondering if you could briefly tell our listeners about your own yoga journey and how you came to yoga in the first place and maybe some things you've noticed um, that have, have transformed in your own life.
1: Hmm. I ran into yoga quite by accident quite truthfully I was uh, out to lunch with my partner and a friend one afternoon many many years ago and I saw a flyer for an open house at a yoga studio that was right near the restaurant and I didn't really um, know anything about the yoga this was the mid to late 90s and There weren't very many yoga studios in Atlanta at that time. I think maybe three, including the outer areas of Atlanta, not just in the city of Atlanta. And at any rate, I kind of bailed on the lunch and uh, went and checked out this thing called yoga. And it uh, immediately resonated with me. I couldn't really articulate what my experience was. Uh, but that there was something that just spoke to me in this in this class that I went to at this open house, and given my largely addictive nature, I uh, jumped jumped right into yoga. And before I knew it, was going to sometimes two classes a day, six or seven times a week. Just really fell in love with the at practice and had some wonderful teachers that uh, helped open the door to the teachings for me.
0: So. I, I always am really interested in hearing people's, you know, stories of how they came to yoga. And I think that it's it's so interesting because there's this parallel between like addiction, you know, and, and every mm-hmm. addict remembers like the first time that they tried the drug, you know, right. and yeah. remembers Absolutely. that first experience. And, you know, it's <laughs> yep. the same with yoga. I think everybody, you know, when you're sort of, you know, in that space and really, and really touched, it's, it's really hard to forget about that first mm-hmm. time, you know, Um, that, that got you on the path. So I know, um, you know, you, you had written an article in the International Journal of Yoga Therapy a while back, and the title of your piece was Patanjali's sutras you know and how it um Mm -hmm. it works with behavior change and transformation so for those of our listeners that aren't as familiar with the sutras necessarily could you just give like a brief overview um into what the sutras are and why they're important and maybe some ways that they can be applied to modern day living through a yogic lens
1: Yeah, so in short, uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras is a document or a book that uh, was written um, actually not that long ago, uh, a couple hundred years after the uh, turn of the century, and uh, so around 200 um, common era. The sutras basically outline a path of this process that we call yoga, right? And so the sutra says that the system is both a path and, uh, for lack of a better word, a goal. So if I follow this um, eight-limbed or eight-legged process that's outlined in the yoga sutras, then by doing so, I will be both practicing yoga and attaining the quote-unquote state of yoga, which ideally is equanimity or peace. And so, uh, you know, most of us are familiar with the first three limbs of yoga, uh, especially in the West, which is the idea of asana or yoga postures, uh, pranayama or breath work, and then uh, meditation, which is actually a couple limbs up, but um, we use different ways of meditating uh, in our country, whether guided meditation, visualization, imagery but ways to really focus our attention and our awareness to create a more expanded state of mind.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thank you. That's because I know we could go, I mean, there's so much to cover when it comes to yogic texts and that will be a discussion (laughs) for another day. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So one thing that I wanted to unpack really quick, and I know you, you mentioned it in your article, but you know, I, um, encounter this assumption a lot in my own work is that there is this belief that yoga is inherently therapeutic you know I have a lot of people mm-hmm. say well you know you do yoga so you know why are you still stressed out isn't yoga just <laughs> therapeutic or you know why do you you know have high blood pressure you do yoga you know so right. mm-hmm. how is so how is yoga not inherently therapeutic and and what would differentiate? A, a yoga studio class from something that is intended to be a yoga therapy session.
1: Yeah, the, and that's um, th- that's a, a multi-layered question. So I'll I'll try to um, answer um, in as many layers as I can. You know, yoga <clears throat> therapy. Really, as um, defined by the International Association of Yoga Therapists, which is the kind of the governing standard or standard board uh, of yoga therapy, says that <clears throat> you know yoga therapy is about empowering people to create a greater um, state of well-being or quality of life. And what's not said in that statement is that our quality of life is not determined by the circumstances of our lives necessarily. And so for instance, I can be a person that has a pathology or condition that brings me chronic pain. And um, I can go to a general uh, population yoga class and I can be led through a beautiful experience that um, creates more mobility in my joints that might allow me to relax a little bit. Um, And then after an hour or 75 minutes or 90 minutes, I pack up my mat, I go out the door and I go on my merry way. Um, And, you know, maybe make it back to the class the next week, you know, two days from now, whatever. With yoga therapy, what we're really doing is we're working with the multi-dimensional aspect of a person's experiences and the layers of their experiences. So that if I'm that same person with chronic pain, when I'm working with yoga therapy, I am working with very specific breath techniques to bring my uh, nervous system into a parasympathetic nervous system dominant state, right? So I'm moving from that Um, activation and fight or flight or flee response into a more rested, well-regulated response. I am uh, working with yoga postures and movement to find spaces within my body where I have no pain or less pain. And I learned through the lens of yoga, how do I relate to my pain experiences and how do I perceive pain and how do I perceive sensation? And so then in a therapeutic model, I'm working with a more well-rounded or a multi-layered experience of what it means to be in this body with these experiences and learning how I relate to those experiences so that in effect, I can take that information out of my practice when I roll up my mat and out into my day-to-day experiences so that I can more fully understand what am I making um, my pain mean in this moment? And how might I maybe or maybe not change my perception or relationship to it at any given time?
0: Hmm. So, yeah, it sounds like, you know, in an individual yoga therapy session, it's, you know, very much tailored to that specific, unique person's you know constitution and yeah, and the different layers of that person versus a yoga class which is just going to be very general and and the you know the the class and the sequence may not be tailored to that person you know specifically um, yeah,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. that is certainly one aspect of it. Right,
0: right. Yeah. So, and I think that you know that that's a wonderful segue to get into the you know the discussion about you know yoga as a model for behavior change. So I'm really curious how you <clears throat> sort of you know got into that specific niche you know within the field of yoga therapy, specifically mm-hmm. with behavior change, and then. If you could um, sort of unpack for us, like how the stages of change model
1: aligns so well with the yoga therapy model, and uh... yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so my entryway into studying more specifically in this this area of behavior change and yoga came in two ways. One was through my personal experiences in life, <clears throat> and the other was just through things that developed for me over the course of time professionally. And so from a personal perspective, uh, just in brief, I dealt with a lifetime of obesity and self-abuse through food or lack of food or withholding of food. And um, I also struggled for many years with drug addiction. Through both of those experiences of behavior and self-harming behavior, I went through different paths or directives to try to create a safer, uh, greater environment for my body, right? You know, eating better, exercising, not doing drugs, right? Like all of those things. And I'm really simplifying it for the sake of this interview. Uh, Some some of the details can be read in that uh, article that you mentioned. Um, And then I had another in Elephant Journal a couple years before that. But at any rate, so part of it, so part of my interest in this arena came from my personal experiences with addiction and moving in and out of addiction of different kinds for many years <clears throat> then the other was that at, at one point in my uh Professional life uh, back in the early 2000s, I uh, went through about a year-long program to become a certified life coach. <clears throat> Excuse me, and in that process of learning the tools and the resources for coaching, being coached for a year, and um, and coaching others for many many years. Um, I became very interested in this dynamic of human behavior and more specifically, why oftentimes what we want does not align with what we're doing, (laughs) right? So I thought there's this misalignment between inner desire or passion and like my day-to-day actions. And as I uh, worked with people more and my own self more and, and looked at this misalignment, I found that over time, my yoga practice really filled that gap. It became the bridge between um, what was that space of my true self that we think of as yoga, right, my innermost desires, my dreams, the very vital thriving life that I wanted to live, health and body, mind and spirit, and the the stuff that I was actually doing in my day-to-day life, which were... very disproportionate. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the the more and more that I practiced yoga and the and the deeper that I got into the philosophical teachings, I began to see this this pathway that helped me bridge these these two aspects of my experiences, the inner desire and in the outer world, so to speak. You know, with behavior change, you know, I I studied behavior change through coaching and all the various obstacles that we put in the way of changing and understanding energy and uh, catabolic energy and anabolic energy and what drives us and what pulls us and what helps us sink. And, uh, you know, what I found is that there was also this really great correlation between the yoga that I practice and teach uh, and, and relate my life to, which is Tantra Hatha Yoga and uh, what I had learned uh, through my coaching experience. So when we began to look more fully at the yoga practice and how behavior manifests um, or we create behavior i began to see that they were the same (laughs) right yeah this is this is a big mouthful um so let me let me pause here for just a second if i might and um talk a little bit more about the behavior side if that's okay so that i can hopefully pull pull this together yeah
0: Oh, I think that, I think that would be great because I would love for you to talk about the behavior side and then maybe also kind of back up and just give, um, just some, you know, um, explanation on Tantra Hatha yoga, like what differentiates Tantra, what Tantra really is Because we get a lot of misconceptions about that mm-hmm. as well and, and misappropriated assumptions as well. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. so yes, behavior. And then let's cover yeah. Tantra quickly <laughs> yes. after okay, that. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so, with, you know, with we know that um, people have been seeking um, and using traditional therapies for many, many years. And there's been a lot of success in traditional therapies. And I'm, and I'm going to uh, talk more specifically about behavior therapy, because that's really what we're talking about is, is change in behavior. And so, you know, just as generally speaking, as a broad overset is that behavior therapy, there are different kinds of behavior therapy. Um, there's cognitive behavior therapy, which is, right, understanding how your your thoughts and your beliefs create your actions and your moods. There's um, like the, the system desensitization, Citization. I trip over that word every time yeah it's a mouthful mouthful, um therapy which is you know more along the lines or it comes from uh like the classical conditioning and under um and starts usually with relaxation and breath techniques it's used a lot for people with different um phobias um and then right the good old aversion therapy (laughs) um which is actually used largely um in um sectors of addiction kind of creating that relationship between an unpleasant stimulus and an unpleasant response right so like i'm Going to think of something really unpleasant every time I think of drinking alcohol if I'm an alcoholic. Um, and so those are some different kinds of behavior therapy, and they work you know, relatively well in areas for eating disorders, bipolar disorder, ADHD, phobias, OCD, substance abuse, self-harm. So they're, you know they, they are very effective. But here's also what has been found in more cross-cultural uh, studies of behavior. And that is that the, the behavior therapy, while it provides some really wonderful tools and resources for people, it also does not uh, individualize the process of change, right? So I kind of have this one exercise, so to speak, that's used for all people, and that really doesn't account for people's um, largely distinctive and unique personalities and natures and energies. And um, so sometimes those therapies get diluted in their um, effectiveness, or they don't translate into lifelong change. And, and we, you know, right, like um, there was that TV show that was on for a long time. It might still be on the Biggest Loser program, right, where people go and, and live in a house and have personal trainers and people that teach them how to cook and they exercise eight hours a day and they lose hundreds of pounds. And that's all wonderful. However, what we also see is that sometimes people in those situations go back into their day-to-day lives. Uh, the tools and the resources that they had slowly dissolve away and their old behavior changes or, or returns or old behavior returns. And so what we see from those kinds of experiences in people is that the cognitive or behavior therapies and just changing, right, just making a choice and like, okay, I'm not going to do this now, I'm going to do that. Doesn't always um, shift the energy dynamic and the relationship and perspective dynamic that needs to take place for lifelong change to occur. And so there was a cross-cultural study done for many, many uh, years that looked at different schools of psychology, the various common components to those principles and processes, and these particular people that did this research study wrote a book, and this, this book outlines what they were able to delineate as six different stages of change. And what's really cool is that in their study, they also uh, looked very closely at what they call self-changers. So those are people that make huge changes in their lives in some way without going to an external Person, professional group, or what have you. So for example, for um, my experience, I um, had an issue with cocaine addiction for many years, and I would be one of those people that they would qualify as a self-changer. I did not go to AA. I did not go to NA. I did did not even actually go to any kind of behavior therapy. I was able to cultivate that um, change within myself. And so what they discovered was that there are six stages of change that were very clear in both self-changers and people who got change um, through support from a a person or a group. And those stages were very predictable in each and every person. And so when you look at those stages, um, and we can talk more fully about them if you want, but When you look at those stages, there is an alignment between each of the stages and where we can apply the various tools of our yoga practice so that we're not just doing things externally, we're really making changes from the core of our being and letting that ruminate out into the peripheral edges of our lives. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So people that are, you know, listening who are, you know, licensed mental health and behavioral health clinicians will, you know, many of us learn, you know, motivational interviewing in our graduate mm-hmm. programs. And so we're very familiar with stages of change and we, you know, get how hard it is and, and how people are in different stages of change. And and that will determine um, how ready a person is to make change and, and how mm-hmm. well they can maintain it. Um so, what would be the what are the um, what are the components of yoga that align with those six stages of change so for those that may not know that
1: yeah. Um, so I'll so I'll start this answer at first by talking um, about the Tantra Hatha Yoga yes. aspect.
0: Let, let's uh, get, that, yes, let's <laughs> get yes because
1: that is distinctive. I think um, at least in in my line of work, I, I'm sure there's other lineages and other practices that also have their own distinctions. Um, but I can only speak from from my experience. So I certainly don't mean to diminish or dilute any other teaching. Yeah. Uh, So like the first stage that they identify, uh, so let me back up. So with Tantra Hatha Yoga, we're looking at the body and the breath as a representation of the energy. And through the practices that we do, so through when I'm doing yoga postures, when I'm um, doing any kind of breath work, I am using those simply as an entryway to understand the energy that lies beneath those experiences. So what Tantra Hatha Yoga says is every physical sensation that I feel, every thought, every emotion is simply an energetic experience. And what happens is, is that my ego part of me has that energetic experience it takes that experience um, and because the ego binds itself to itself through language right it uses language to create meaning around those energies that i feel so in a very simple way Thinking about it, let's say I am in the yoga posture of Crescent Warrior, or Virabhadrasana, Warrior One, right? It's got many different names. And um, I hold that posture. And for the first few breaths, it feels great. I feel strong. I feel powerful. Um, and all is good in my world because that strength and that power um, solidifies my ego self, <clears throat> right? Right. And then all of a sudden the energy starts to change because I'm holding the posture longer and longer and longer and my muscles are starting to fatigue and my arms are getting tired and my leg is starting to quiver and my breath is starting to shorten, right? And all of those things are um, causing physical sensations and my nervous system is now responding to those physical sensations. And my ego looks at all of that and goes, oh, shit, right? It's not, I, what am I doing? What, what is happening to me? This is not who I am. This is threatening my identity. And what Tantra Hatha Yoga do is, does is it says, oh, wait a minute, wait step back one more go to the observing mind watch the energy this is just a whole bunch of heat moving around inside of you it's fine you're fine you're not going to die here let the ego be threatened so that it can grow beyond its little small mind right and so we use tantra hatha yoga as a way to explore our relationship to the energy and how we create meaning out of those energetic experiences, right? So that's that's a very simple um, way of thinking about Tantra Hatha Yoga. And so when I take that and I layer it with this idea of stages of change, right? The first stage that they identify is what they call pre-contemplation. In pre-contemplation, I'm not looking for a solution to my problem because I don't even know that I have a problem, right? And um, a lot of times what will happen is something external to myself will have to push me out of that pre-contemplation stage into the next stage, which is known as contemplation. And so sometimes it can be something really simple, like a big birthday, like a, I turn 50 and um, or 60, and I have that, quote unquote, midlife crisis, or the birth of a child, or the death of a, a, a partner or a spouse, right? There can be some external event that kind of pushes me from thinking about something to actually thinking about doing something, right? Um, or not thinking about something. Um, and I think we've all had those kinds of experiences in our lives, right? Those are what we call defining our pivotal moments. And so in that stage of pre-contemplation, I can use my yoga practice to begin to grow that space of awareness, right? I can use my breath work, my postures, my movement, what I feel, my nervous system to begin to understand, like, where am I in relationship to myself, And can I begin to delineate that voice, which is the ego mind, because the ego mind is what's going to become my biggest obstruction to change, right? Because the ego wants to maintain the status quo. And as soon as I begin to want to change something, the ego becomes threatened. And so the first thing that I I want to do is to be able to use my yoga practice in a way that helps me build discernment or what we call in yoga the booty mind to to tease apart the untruth of the ego mind versus the capital T truth of um, the inner self so that's just kind of one, one little example. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I mean, I think that, that, you know, that really, um, it, it gives us such a, a clear, a clearer understanding of what's going on, um, in this process and, and what the relationship is between the, you know, Tantra Hatha yogic model and the stages of change model. So in mm-hmm. your experience, cause you work, you work quite a lot as a yoga therapist and you work with a lot of, of folks. So, mm-hmm. um, what do you, I mean, what's your take on, on why human beings have such a hard time with changing behavior. (laughs) I mean, you know, ego aside, because we know um, the ego wants what the ego wants, but um, you know, because I've, I've met a lot of clients in my work who have, you know, they come and they say, well, I've been through 15 therapists, I've been through 26 programs, and nothing has helped me. And mm-hmm. then I say, wow, great. So I'm going to be the 16th therapist <laughs> who won't be able to help you either. So, yeah. um, you know, what, what do you think gets in the way? What do you think is going on dynamically, energetically? What, why do human beings have such a hard time with change or have such an aversion to change? Yeah,
1: you know, I think I think if I really had the pivotal answer to this, I'd I, I would probably be a very wealthy, um, popular speaker. But <laughs> um, my my sense is that we are likely less fearful of change and more fearful of re-identifying who we are in the world, right? So it's not so much the change itself. I think the change itself might be neither here nor there. It is, I have bound myself to identity X for a certain amount of time. And so if I begin to release my hold on that identity, then who in the world am I and who does that make me to fill in the blank, right? To my partner, to my children, because they've known me as this person, um, as the smoker, as the life of the party, as the fat girl, as whatever that role is. And so, just in and of myself, I become um, very tied to that identity and then my relationships tie me even deeper to that identity. I think that's one aspect of it. I think also another aspect of it is that in yoga, we have this term samskara. Loosely, uh, we can think of samskara as the grooves of our conditioning. And so all of us arrive into this world as babies at least as far as I know, right? The human experience, and um, yeah, we will just safe to assume that for we'll, the context we'll just, of the discussion. We'll just discussion. All agree to that, yeah. and um, and you know, with not a lot of uh, cognitive or intellectual information that that we know of or that we can articulate, and so through the simple act of relationship with our caretakers or lack thereof in some people's experiences it begins to set up a certain expectation in life, an expectation for myself and an expectation about my relationships with others. And those expectations create certain belief systems and those belief systems become ingrained in my body and in my uh, thought processes. And those are the things that drive my actions in the world. And so those every time I take an action, that solidifies the belief system, that groove gets deeper, right? The samskara gets deeper. And um, then it becomes like quicksand that we can't get out of. And at the end of the day, I sit here wondering, wow, like I really thought I was gonna start exercising and eating healthy today, but I didn't do it. What's wrong with me, right? And it's this, this, a deeply entrenched belief system, which is in and of itself an energetic system that drives kind of how we interact um, with the world and how we treat ourselves and how we treat others.
0: Yeah. So it's a much, it's a much deeper process than I think, um, You know a lot of a lot of our western society is um aware of you know Mm -hmm. we we just don't realize like the depth of this injury you know so to Mm -hmm. speak i mean we talk about attachment injuries happening you know Um, at the moment a person comes into the world as an infant you know attachment injuries can begin and then it just it continues like you said to the groove gets deeper and deeper and deeper and then before you know it you're an adult and you um (laughs) you know you 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 go to therapy because you know your relationships are just failing one after the other Mm -hmm. and then we have to kind of step back and do the work and figure out where did that belief about yourself start and I think it's even down to the the way the nerve system takes in information and that's a very you know almost unconscious process at work so yeah. um yeah it's it's a really it's a it's a it's a deep process um mm-hmm. so what what kinds of um clients do you usually see who do you what what's the um what are some of the the common conditions that you treat in your work as a yoga therapist
1: I, uh, I, you know, it comes in waves and flows, and it's, it's interesting as, I've, as I kind of look over the, the spectrum of my practice over the years, I go through waves of working with people with a lot of physical pathologies and dysfunction, and then I have clusters of uh, and times of working with a lot of stress and anxiety chronic pain conditions. Uh, I, I work with several clients that have various neurological and muscle conditions. I have uh, people that I work with who have Parkinson's disease, uh, Alzheimer's. So really, um, it's, it's, it's all over the board when it comes to the reasons that people seek yoga therapy. What I also find is looking over the spectrum and the variety is that people often when they come to yoga therapy find that integrating the body-mind, for lack of another word, soul or spirit aspect of their experience, creates either a quicker path to um, improved well-being or a, a stronger pathway to well-being. And, and what I mean by stronger is that um, their sense of well-being or equanimity lasts longer at a stretch. Right. So their sense of well-being might have been five minutes a day, but through the course of yoga therapy, now they um, feel rather at peace um, five hours a day, or um, they more quickly... Uh, rebound from an anxious state to a to a uh, more fluid state
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I, you know in my in my own life and you know in my own process of of healing and and changing um you know i've I've noticed that the more um, the deeper I get into the practice, which is why I was so drawn to this, you know, the depth practice of, of Tantra Hatha Yoga. And, you know, the, the farther mm-hmm. down the rabbit hole I go, um, <laughs> the healthier I become both in mm-hmm. my in my body and my mind. And um, I, you know, I definitely resonate with your experience. But I was also a self-changer. I was one day, you know, just in the depths of depression and uh, walked into a yoga studio and mm-hmm. it just it, it kind of you know, and the path has not been linear, you know, nothing in life is, but, um, and it's definitely, I always remember that day is the day that, that put me on the path to, to, um, better health and well being. So, um, is there, can you please tell our listeners where we can find you? Um, you know, if people wanted to work with you or they wanted to find out more about the work that you do here in Atlanta, I would love for you to share that.
1: Yes, I I see clients privately uh, in Atlanta, Decatur area. Um, I actually also have several clients that I see over Skype or some kind of video platform because they don't live in Georgia. Uh, so I, I do see clients, you know, U.S. wide. I've seen clients uh, from other countries. And, you know, thanks to technology, <laughs> we can do those kinds of things these days. I co-founded a school with uh, two partners of mine and friends of mine, Marlisa Sullivan and Holly Black, um, called the Center for Integrative Yoga Studies. And uh, we are based in Atlanta and um, have teacher training programs in Atlanta and um, also in Charlotte, North Carolina and Philly, where we teach some of our programs. Uh, And then I do uh, international retreats and local workshops that are found on our website, which is uh, integrativeyogastudies.com.
0: So I will be sure to include that link um, in the show notes. Um, I am also a proud graduate of the Center for Integrative <laughs> Yoga Studies, um, and I and I proudly hang my certificate in my office. So, um, well, Trey, thank you so much for taking the time today to share with us your knowledge and expertise, and um, I will we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Deborah. It
1: was a pleasure to be with you today.
0: All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And that is all for today. So again, I'm really so grateful that you guys took the time to listen. And also, if you'd like to be a part of a closed community online, I do have a Facebook group called Ancient Tools for Modern Living, and it's a a place to get further resources, ask questions, kind of discuss the topics that were um, presented on the podcast, and connect with other like-minded individuals. So before you are approved, you will be asked Uh, to answer a few questions um, when you request to join. And that's really just to protect the integrity of our community um, and to, you know, prevent any spammers or anyone who may be peddling any kind of wares to the group. So I've created a free resource guide for um, stress management through yoga that can be accessed and downloaded at my website, which is www.innerskytherapeutics.com. So you just go to the website, sign up. Um, to receive the newsletter, and your free copy should be available as an immediate download. And if you liked what you heard today, please head on over to the iTunes store and leave some love in the form of a review. That's really, really, really helps other people to find the podcast. And I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate hearing from you guys and your thoughts about what you heard. So if there is something you would like to know more about, or maybe there's a topic that you would like to hear about, let me do the research for you. Um, You can connect with me on any of the platforms that were mentioned, or you can email me directly and I'm about to give you my email address, so make sure you have a pen handy and something to write with because I'm, t- I'm warning you, this is a mouthful. So it's Sepora. that's T as in Tom, Z as in zebra. So it's T-Z-I-P-P-O-R-A-H. My kids always get a kick out of the PP as well. Again, that's T-Z-I-P-P-O-R-A-H at Inner Sky. I N N E R S K Y Therapeutics, T H E R A P E U T I C S dot com. Probably one of the longest email addresses you've ever, ever seen. So I'm pretty good about responding quickly. So please, please, please feel free to email me, ask me questions, let me know what kinds of topics you'd be interested in. And if there's anything else you'd like to know more about regarding mental health and yoga, I am happy to be a resource for you. So just like always, the links to everything mentioned will be in the show notes. Until next time, remember, everything you need is already inside of you. Bye, guys.